The reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It's found on page 1003 of your pew Bible. First, let us pray. Our Father, giver of all good and perfect gifts, we thank you for the gift of your word, which has been wonderfully and providentially preserved for us, inerrant and infallible. We pray that your spirit descend on every heart so that we may understand your word and apply it in all our lives, all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God for the people of God. Our God is a God who speaks. It's God who utters words, revealing himself and, and making things happen through words. And this, being something we're so used to, um, doesn't strike as odd as it might um, if we were to compare to other beliefs, other faiths. Uh, there's several kind of beliefs that there is a divine power above us, but this divine power isn't personal. So there's no speaking, nothing to say. There might be a great power, but that power doesn't speak. It just kind of is. Uh, some kind of have held to the belief of different gods who have no um, real interest in us, and so to, to get the God's attention, you have to make a sacrifice, and you have to try to draw them to give you something, but there's no interest in revealing themselves or speaking. It's just make it rain by offering the right sacrifices or win a battle. The ancient Greeks believed that you could get wisdom or knowledge from uh, gods if you were to go to special places where an oracle lived. A cavern or something, and, and you could make a sacrifice and give a donation, and there would be a word uttered to the answer your question. And so a king who's ready to invade another um, kingdom might send off messengers to this oracle, make the sacrifice, and get a really vague and obscure answer. Um, their own historians would kind of talk about the way these could mean almost anything you wanted them to mean, kind of like most fortune cookies. You know, they're just vague enough that you can apply it to whatever. And so a king might go and get the message, a great kingdom will fall this day. And they think, great, that means I need to invade. And they go and they invade and they're conquered and it's their own kingdom that falls because it's cryptic. It's not clear. Our God speaks. He speaks with clarity, and He speaks with power. And the very creation, God utters words, and the worlds come into being. 
Um, he speaks, and suddenly there are galaxies. He speaks, and there is light. He speaks, and there's chinchillas and aardvarks and dogs and cats and people, and the world is populated. God speaks, but then he doesn't just leave it. He continues to speak. Abram, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will bless you. He enters covenant with us through his word. He continues to to make promises, and he calls a kingdom and makes covenant with them and says, this is how you shall live. As the people hear the word of God on Sinai, say, have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not kill. Do not covet the very word of God. And as they hear it, they say, Moses, you go talk to this God. We don't want to talk to this living God. You go on our behalf because it is frightening to hear the word of God. God's word continues to come through the prophets as he gives visions to Ezekiel like the will and the flame and things. As he gives them messages of promises of a virgin shall be found with child. His kingdom shall never end. This day, Bethlehem, you know, the, the, the promises that will be made through the prophets as well as the commands and calling them to repentance and calling to follow to let justice flow down, to do what God has commanded and seek him. God speaks. God continued to speak, and in the fullness of time, God's very word becomes flesh and dwells among us, revealing, instructing, and, and loving, and showing us as his very word walks among us and shows the compassion for the hungry, shows forgiveness for sinners, shows God's righteousness and calls us to follow him, and ultimately going to the cross, showing God's character of love that knows no end as he suffers for us. And his word continues as he guides the apostles, as he guides um, the early church speaking to them, giving visions to John, providentially guiding Paul to write letters that speak to us and are gathered together to become the, the word of God which is written. God speaks, and he speaks to us even today, And this is what the writer of Hebrews wants us to remember. You'll remember we're in a warning. The warning is, just as the people of Israel fled Egypt and were released out of Egypt and were on their way to entering the promised land, but some of them did not make it because of their disobedience and disbelief, but fell in the wilderness, we too need to be cautious that we have been freed from sin, still trust and have a faith that perseveres, a faith that produces obedience that leads us into the kingdom of God that's been promised. And so as we are in our wilderness wandering, to be careful that we strive to enter that rest that has been promised. Therefore, uh, you know, we're watching because, uh, um, therefore strive to enter the rest because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. He's the Word of God is powerful, creating and doing all these things. And, and the writer of Hebrews is, I think, particularly showing us to 
the Word of God written. Because he's just made several quotations from Psalm 95 and um, from different passages of uh, the Old Testament. And each one of those, you'll remember, he, um, he introduces with, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, therefore, as God says, therefore, as God says through Abraham, therefore, as he says, um, all these things, God is speaking and he's quoting scripture. So as we, we follow this, we understand that he wants us to be particularly attentive to the word of God written. The scriptures themselves, as the Holy Spirit takes these and applies them to our life and reveals his will for us through these words. So what does it say about this word, this word of God? Well, it's living and it's active. By living, it, 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 it is not something that is just there that we can take and use for our own. I, I just see so often um, folks who just kind of take Scripture and try to make it what they want. And or we kind of approach Scripture sometimes just looking for backup for uh, what we already believe. But God's Word is living. God's Word has its own agenda. We come to this Word uh, to receive, not to tell it what to do, to be mastered by it, not to think that we're going to use this as a weapon against somebody else or as something to just confirm who we are and what we believe. We come to this Word because it is living. And uh, I'll, I'll... I want to look at a passage from Habakkuk, actually. As God is ridiculing through the prophet Habakkuk, those who would make idols that can't talk, the, the gods who would be the pagan idols that themselves cannot speak, um, Habakkuk confronts them and says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For it maker trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He's ridiculing the idea of making this idol of silver and gold and then expecting it to teach you something because it has no breath. It has no spirit. Breath in uh, Greek and Hebrew both have the same meaning of breath, spirit, wind. It's moving air. It's spirit. It, it, it is what gives life. It's what enables one to speak. And it is the breath of life that is breathed into people. As the dust of the earth is formed, God breathes life into us, breathes his spirit into us. Idols have no breath. They can't speak. And yet God, we are told, breathes out the Scriptures. All Scripture is inspired, is breathed out, is of God's Spirit. Therefore, it's living. It's able to do what it's going to do. That's what it means by saying it's active. God's Word is living and active. Maybe effective is a better way to think of that. I hear active, and I think of Graham at three years old. I think of you know a lot of lot of energy, not necessarily um, doing doing, but just 
But here is one who does things. This is one who has intention, has the power and ability to do it, and is active, able to do what it claims it's going to do. This is another great claim of Scripture, that God's Word will not return to him empty, that his Word accomplishes his purpose. God's purpose is conviction, judgment, mercy, renewal making peace. It's all these things, and His Word will do what it intends to do. God's Word is living and powerful and active. Then He begins to describe this sharper than any two-edged sword. There's um, uh, piercing, the division of soul and spirit. We're not to make a lot of metaphysical distinctions between. The whole point is it makes very fine divisions between marrow and, and joint, that it separates things. And that's what it means by that's what, analysis. You know, you're breaking things in parts. You're discerning. You're making distinctions between this and that. You're making these distinctions and judging one or the other so that no creature is hidden from its light. All are naked, exposed to the eyes of him to whom they must give an account. The Word exposes our hearts. It shows the truth of who we are. We come to this Word and we don't come before it and make judgments on it. We come to this word and it judges us. The perhaps gross image that comes to my mind is I'm thinking of this blade that is making distinctions and separations and and cutting things apart is how many of you dissected frogs in school? I don't think younger people get to do that anymore. Y'all so miss out. I'm sorry. Maybe... Maybe if you have a contact with the school science department, they can at least you order one. But there, there I am with my frog or my worm or my fetal pig, you know, all these things. And what do you do? Do you just stab and hack and cut? No one confessed. You're not psychos. Good. What you did was you cut it and you pulled back and you made precise cuts that the teacher instructed so that you could make distinctions and analyze and see what's there and understand the different parts. Look, there's a muscle, there's a, a spleen, there's a heart. You're seeing all the parts and you're making, you're naming, you're kind of discerning what's there. That's what God's Word does to our hearts. It lays it bare to see there's greed, there's envy. There's bitterness you haven't let go. There's trust. There's faith. There's good works. There's desire to please me. There's self-righteousness. And the idea there is that we are attentive to our hearts and attentive to the Word as we submit to it to lay open our hearts so that we can repent and be cleansed and be assured that what we're trusting is not ourselves or anything other than the Christ who to whom we will give an account, and to whom is able to bring us into eternal life. So God's Word confronts us. Let me, let me make a quick note before we get into how we read the Word. When we, I think it's very often that we think of reading the, attending to the Word or hearing the Word, we think of reading Scripture as individuals on our own, which is good. We all should be reading Scripture daily and, and, and drinking it in. But we also understand that we don't just go as an individual, that we do so as, as a body of believers because we need one another. 
we need the, the tradition of the church to help us understand. And just there, there's been kind of this concept of, you know, I just get rid of the way anybody else might have read this. I'm going to take this Bible and I'm going to go read it myself. And anytime somebody's done that, they, they recreate all the historical heresies. They, they can't come up with any new heresies, but they get into heresy because if we just kind of take it and say, I don't need anybody else to help me, well, that means you ignore the church to whom Christ has given us, the church to whom these books were addressed, the church to whom Christ has called you to be part of. And so if we say, I'm going to go read this, let me just kind of as an example, how many of us actually read Hebrew and Greek? How many of us speak Latin? How many of us have lived as other, I mean, other close to this time? We're, we're very modern people. I mean, to read as part of this big family is not that we have these expertise, but we come alongside people who were former slaves in Ireland. We read this book along with former African Roman citizens. We read this book with former um, Jewish um, scholars in Alexandria, Egypt. We, we read this book with Greek emperors. We read this book with um, all those different experiences and different languages who lived closer to the culture of Jesus and the apostles, and we read it with them, as well as brothers and sisters who are being persecuted in China as well as brothers and sisters who have very different experiences as us in other parts of the world. And all of that experience and all of this way that God has worked things out over the course of centuries through the people he has promised to guide into his truth, that's not saying everything that's been passed on is true. We can pass on error really good. But it is to say to think that I'm going to come to some truth that the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit dwells in for centuries has not come to is arrogance. So we read this book together because also it's really helpful when somebody else is pointing things out to me that I'm blind to because of my own sin. So it's not just all of that, but it is also with brothers and sisters. We need to read this book as part of the church historically, but also as a community that's living now. Now that doesn't mean you have to go read Augustine. We have the creeds. We have confessions that help guide us and lead us in these things as we, we read Scripture, which is the sole authority over all of that, and yet we, we want to read with one another. Okay, so what does this do? How does this expose us? Well, there's a, a few ways that the, the, the Word of God exposes our hearts and shows us the truth. One is the very desire to know God's Word shows us a lot about what we desire. If I tell you that I'm a huge, I was really trying to think of a popular singer who's young that the teenagers would know, but plus, huh? oh yeah, Taylor Swift. If I were to tell you I was a big Taylor Swift fan and you found out I had no Taylor Swift records, I could not name any Taylor Swift song and I don't know anything about the Taylor is she on tour now or something? I don't know anything about that. How much of a Taylor Swift fan would you think I am? It's the same thing if I was to say I'm a Christian, but I have no desire to hear what my Savior says to me by coming to his word. If I say I love Jesus, but I really could care less what he has to say about what I'm going through in life, that should expose something about my heart. 
Now, I recognize that some of us might be intimidated at times about Scripture. I mean, it's, it, there can be confusing things. There's things we don't understand, and, and we, we hear other people talk, and they use big words, and we, we, we hear references to stories we're not familiar with, and it can be intimidating. And what I want you to know is you don't have to know all the history of the Amalekites for God to speak to you through his word. You, you don't have to have a solid base on anything. You have to trust and he has a word for you. Don't be intimidated. You're not, you're not judged on what you don't know. You're, you're, you're judged with an idea. I mean, you're, he, he's going to speak to you. One of the early church leaders said, uh, essentially that Scripture is for everyone. It's broad and deep. The most timid lamb can wade into it and be refreshed, and the largest elephant can swim and never reach its depths. All of us come to the word where we are. God meets you where you are. Don't be intimidated. Hear his word for you. So there's a desire. There's another thing in which uh, we're judged just by showing us what God's holiness is. Uh, a few times, uh, I can't remember even how often it is, ever so often, I will drive up to the church and Phil will be out with his pressure washer and walls that I never thought were dirty suddenly look filthy because I'm seeing half of where he is clean. He's cleaned, it's nice and white, and I'm looking the other, the gray. I've never noticed how dirty it was. Thankfully, Phil does. But have you ever had that experience? Have you cleaned something and it, you realize how dirty it is because you've been comparing it to the, the clean? Man, I'm so good at comparing my life to other people. I'm so good at finding someone who is, you know, bad. And, and I mean, it, it, it's not difficult to look around. You know, I think those, those old talk shows that, um, I remember Mari Povich and them, they, they, all the reality shows, they exist to make people feel better about themselves. And how good I can make myself feel if I'm looking at the news. And, you know, hear bad news about somebody. I'm not like that. We all do, and we feel pretty good and clean. But I come to this word, and I hear Jesus' parables. I hear Jesus talking about um, coveting. I hear Jesus, and I see Jesus' life, and I hear the goodness of God and his command to be perfect as I am perfect, and I realize I am not. It's when I compare myself to a holy God that I realize my filth. When I'm comparing myself to other filth, it's not as obvious. And one of the things God's Word does is we, we read it as it shows us how ignorant we are and how foolish we are and how sinful we are. And our willingness to obey shows us something. As, as God's Word hits us, we were talking in Sunday school about how when we hear the reality of hell, how quickly we want to dismiss that and think about how it's not for us. When there's commands about giving to others, when there's commands about turning the other cheek, how quickly I want to come up with some reason that doesn't apply to me instead of saying, I want to be obedient, I want to follow this. Do you ever do that? Do you ever have parts of Scripture and you say, I don't want to believe in this kind of God? I don't want to believe, I don't want to trust in this kind of God. I don't want to obey this sort of thing where he's commanding me to obedience. 
And that, too, exposes the rebellion in my heart and my desire to make God in my own image and make Him confirm what I want to do rather than be obedient to Him. God's Word is from whom no creature is hidden. We're all naked and exposed before the judge who we must give an account. So we need to be striving to enter. We need to be careful and diligent to attend to His Word and submit our lives to His Word and and look at our hearts in the light of His Word. But we also have the wonderful good news, the one to whom we must give an account and to the one who looks and sees everything and knows more about your own hearts and desire than you do yourself is a God who can not only condemn and judge but also as a God who can say, not guilty, forgiven. I, I see this sin, I see this thing, and, but, but as you see it, you're repenting from it, you're turning from it, you're trusting in Jesus, and he says, you are mine, you are forgiven. The one to whom you give an account has paid for those sins, and if you're trusting in him, he says, Enter into my kingdom. Enter into my rest. You are forgiven. Be at peace. What a wonderful thing. And if you've not trusted in that before, I invite you to trust in him now where you're sitting, to trust in what he's done for you, to let his, heart, let his word expose your heart for where your trust is and, and what your hope is and place it in Christ Jesus Because His Word not only creates and convicts and all these, but it gives new life. It regenerates. It brings our deadness back to life to enable us to trust in Him and to share in the eternal life which He offers. Please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.